enjoyed that, yes boy. Me oh my, I have enjoyed that, yes boy. Me oh my, I have enjoyed that, yes boy. Me oh my, I have enjoyed that. Me oh my, I have enjoyed that, yes boy. And thank you very much for tuning in to another episode of Code with Kingy, where on today's show I'm joined by my dad. Now, like a lot of other rugby families, my love for the game was drawn through my old man, and so what I thought would be a cool idea is that I chop it up with him and just get him talking like we typically do when we are watching a game of footy. So what I proposed to him was that we put together our best All Blacks 23 of all the players that have played since the 2003 Rugby World Cup. And the reason why I picked that date or tournament is because before 2005, I don't remember a lot about rugby and can't really draw on vivid examples. So in order to sort of even the playing field and allow me to have some sort of substance behind my choices, I picked that time frame and thankfully my dad obliged. So hopefully you guys enjoy this intergenerational back and forth and to save myself giving anything away, we'll jump straight into the podcast. What have you been up to? Uh, looking after your grandmother. Uh, also, I'm working from home, so I'm, you know, and I'm, I'm working full time still. And I'm also doing a bit of research, uh, for one of my master's papers. So that's keeping me busy. Cool. Cool. Yeah. I'm, oh, obviously I'm not studying cause I gave that stuff up last year, but yeah, I'm still working from home as well. And. You're just trying to do other bits and bobs, you know, trying to like, get a decent routine in place, although my sleep is a bit out of whack because I can pretty much just roll out of bed into my laptop and my desk. So, But yeah, just trying to fit in all the other stuff that I probably didn't think I had the time for and trying to do it all now because if you're not really going to do all the stuff you you plan to do now, like it's never going to happen. So, yeah, but anyway, we'll, um, we'll jump into this. Uh, so yeah, we've put together our our match day squads for the post-03 World Cup era. And I guess we'll start in the front row, so who have you gone with? I've started with Tony Woodcock, Andrew Hoare, and Carl Heyman. I'm the exact same. Why? Because I was thinking about this, and he's probably someone that doesn't get appreciated as much now because the game's changed a lot. But like, why did you pick someone like Andrew Hall over the likes of like a Kevin Mialamu to start? Because Kevin Mialamu's game is better suited off the bench because he's very dynamic. So therefore, it probably played a big part in my bench selection as well. So it's about the sort of impact that guys had when they came on because their time on the field would be limited barring injuries yeah it's a funny one though eh? because if you look at it purely from probably a a statistical view or an impact view because Kevin Mialami played so many games and I don't know he was you know sort of the the treasure uh, for the Blues someone like Andrew Hall probably would get overlooked depending on who you are so yeah I'm not surprised that we picked the same but yeah Uh, I guess we'll jump into the second row I've gone with I guess it's a bit of a no-brainer. I've gone with Sam Whitelock and Brady Metallic. I'm guessing you've gone the same. I agree. I mean, could you argue that those two are the greatest locks ever for the All Blacks, full stop? Or is it hard to compare errors for you? 
depends what you define as greatest and what you base it on. Because if you base it on success, and if we define success in winning World Cups, and you can't argue with it, but you could argue the impact that maybe certain players had, you know, in that position in different eras. So it's a it's an argument that's got merit that they probably are if you look at purely on winning two World Cups. Yeah. Well, even that, and like if you think of it from a a player perspective, I I find it hard to believe that someone like Brodie Retallick and Sam Whitelock, when you just even think about the physical nature that they play with now, that they wouldn't be able to adjust to the you know the pre-professional era. Whereas, like I think if you look at someone like Colin Meads, who you know is regarded as arguably the greatest All Black ever, if you look at him from a physical standpoint, although you know you have to um, throw in the context of his era. Like, would Colin Meads even be a lock nowadays? You know what I mean? So, that is a funny one. It's a flawed argument, mainly because if he'd had, I guess, the nutrition, training, um, the, the genetics. So, basically, the genetics that our athletes have now have evolved from a generation or two ago. So, therefore, they're always going to be bigger. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, totally. So... Comparing guys because, oh, you know, he was, he's not big enough for this time. It's I just think it's a flawed argument. It's like it's like comparing apples with oranges. Different time, different game, different circumstances. If you wanted to do that, then probably Colin Meads would play a different position. Uh, and I think just purely because of his ability and, I guess, his, you know, his mental toughness or resilience or whatever you want to call it, he would have succeeded, but probably not as a lock. We'll jump into the Lucys, and I'm guessing we're probably going to have similar picks here, but who have you gone with and why? I've gone for Kieran Reid at eight, Chin McCaw at seven, and Jerome Kano at six. Literally the exact same. What made you pick someone like... Jerome Kaino over Jerry Collins? Mainly because you've got to, with something like the loose forwards, you've got to go with combinations. So you, the three loose forwards have to complement each other's games. So I think the one thing that Jerry Collins didn't have going for him uh, was the fact that he wasn't another line-out option. And I think that's the sort of thing. So what happens if you had Kano? And Reed, he actually had two line-out options, but I think what Kano brought was sort of a ruggedness that Jerry Collins brought, but he just had a little bit more going for him with his physical stature, if that makes sense. I mean, where does someone like Kano stack up for you all time at the line side? Well, I, I think, see, this is, this is, again, if it was if you were comparing guys on, on pure ability or if you were compare, or comparing who they played with, he was ideal if he was playing with Richie McCaw and Kieran Reid. But maybe if there was other players involved, it would be a different story. And I think also he he had, I think, where he was underrated was actually his his smarts, if that made sense. Like If you think about it, like normally within the loose forward trio, there was usually a hard bugger. But if you look at the way he played, he was actually quite a disciplined player, so... For a hard bugger, 
he didn't have that reputation of sort of being a bit of a thug or you know putting any sort of you know uh, shit in. But he was he was respected because he was feared, and so I think sometimes what people do is they mistaken fear for you know I guess for hardness. So guys might have been feared because they liked to sort of throw in a bit of, a few cheap shots, but he wasn't like that. He was feared because he was just a hard bugger. I mean, I remember back to that 2011 World Cup, and I mean, he was arguably the All Blacks' best player. I mean, you had the guys uh, like sort of pity whip who got all the raps because he kicked all the goals and was the game driver, but he had that yeah, sort of rare ability of, yeah, like you said, sort of combination of smarts and just sort of sheer strength and power. Like some of like he was a, a hit man, but yeah, in combination with that, um, he did have a bit of finesse to his game. Yep. Yeah, and like you said, he wasn't so much yeah, like a thug of sorts, but I mean, even though this is probably before my time, probably similar to someone like Buck Shelford, you know, sort of one of those guys that you just know not to fuck with on the field because yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, he's not going to punch you on the head on the ground. Like he'll make you pay for it. <laughs> if you're not I, looking the right way on a carry. Yeah. I, I think like, if you look at someone like say Jerry Collins, Jerry Collins had a reputation for being hard and he was, but his was more to do with his impact. Whereas I think Kano's role was more, he didn't make those huge hits that, Collins was renowned for, but I think what he had was a bit more finesse about him. So he put in hard hits because, like, if you look at his physical stature, he probably potentially could have been a lock. You know, he could cover lock. That's how. Although he didn't was. play that well when he played at lock for the All Blacks, so did he? Oh, of course not. I mean, but it was just it was just filling in. Yeah. But I think that's what he bought, is that he sort of bought a little bit more finesse that went with his physical stature. So for a big guy, you know, he played with a bit more finesse. Whereas I think someone like Jerry Collins, who wasn't huge for a six or an eight, so he sort of, I think he compensated by actually having to really make a physical impact because uh, he didn't have those, the sort of physical attributes that Kano had. So I think yeah. that's where he sort of felt like he had to sort of overcompensate for it. And he did. He, he had an impact. But that's where I thought his strengths were, was more of his impact as opposed to his whole game. Kind of was one of those guys as well. He sort of took a bit of time to mature. Like, he was... I think he was he was pretty young as an all-black, but he didn't really... You know how some guys sort of hit the ground running and some guys sort of take a bit of time or they get included and maybe he get was, thrown out a little bit too early and yeah. then they had to take that time to mature? Yeah, he he was like, there's probably two other uh, other examples that actually come to mind where guys were picked a bit early or way too early. And one was, he's in the same boat as, say, Ma'anonu. Ma'anonu was. And also, uh, Isaiah Toyava. Those guys were picked really young, but they didn't sort of really come into their own until about maybe four or five years into their all-back careers. And I think that's where Kano's, because once, once Kano became comfortable, became established... Um, he was the man, you know, for like the next two World Cups. Yeah, well, we'll give Kano a rest because I think we've talked about him enough. I mean, Richie McCaw sort of goes without saying. Um, mm-hmm. He's not the GOAT for me. Um, the GOAT's later to come in my team. You talk about number eights as well, and Kieran Reid gets a bit of a bad rap these days, obviously, because he had to follow up, you know, arguably the greatest player ever in McCaw, and he sort of finished his all-black career with that World Cup loss last year, but I know that you were a really big fan of him before he had his concussion issues. 
And I guess I'm yeah, sort of wanting your perspective on where you end, like he stacks up for you in time. I think if you look at probably as a complete number eight, I think he's the most complete number eight we've ever had. Because I think what he had is he had a combination. If you could probably say combine someone like a Zinzan Brook with a Murray McStead with a Buck Shelford, you'd probably get Kieran Reid. And I think that's a huge compliment because those three particular guys, so if you look at someone like Murray Mixted, he was very, very athletic. Buck Shelford was just hard as nails. And Zinzan Brook just brought a lot of skill and flair that was never seen before, you know, in forward play. And so if you could put that all into one package, I think that's where you got Kieran Reid. But I think that's partially because I think as the professional game evolved, uh, so did, the, I guess, the ability of players in all positions. And I think what Kieran Reid became was, a, I guess, an, an, an evolution of players in the past, like your Murray McSteads, like your Buck Shelfords, and like your Zinzan Brooks, and he just became the prototype of the modern number eight. I think the the big standout sort of attribute to his game. I mean, he he was still doing it uh, over the past few years. Was probably his offloading ability. Um, it was probably a really underrated skill. We set up a lot of tries with the back of scrums, and even just yep. through a lot of his carrying. And I think, yeah, like I mentioned, he was one of those guys who probably wasn't all that charismatic, and he wasn't as good with the media as say you know a Richie McCaw or what Richie McCaw yep. obviously developed to be sort of post that 07 World Cup but yeah he's yeah he's one of those guys that for me yeah I regard him as sort of one of the best that I've ever seen but he sort of didn't really get the the farewell tour that he probably deserves I mean like yeah it was a bit of a sad ending for him after that World Cup semi-final loss I think he was always on a hiding to nothing though I mean anyone who tried to follow Richie McCaw you know, so the only thing that would have, I guess, validated his legacy as the All Black captain, anything less than winning the World Cup was a failure. So he was really on a hiding to nothing. But I think also as well, you've got to remember, the team that played in the 2019 World Cup was not as good as the 2015 and 2011. So it was always going to be really hard for him to, I guess, match what had happened in 2015 and 2011. And if you just looked on paper, the team of 2019 wasn't as good as the 2011-2015 team. But I think also as well, because of his injury problems, and it's like anything, you know, as you get older, your body gets banged up, his game had to evolve. So if people don't remember, he was actually the 2013 World Player of the Year. That's how awesome he was. And then he started getting injuries. And, you know, I think first he started getting concussions. And then, you know, so after 2013, even though we won the 2015 World Cup, he was never the same player, unfortunately. But if people remember him at his peak, he was awesome. All right, we'll kick on to the backs. And at halfback, I've gone with Aaron Smith. Totoko, I agree. Yeah. yeah, I guess we can have this sort of debate again as well, is that Aaron Smith's uh, going to probably become a centurion uh, with all black caps. I mean, obviously we're not we're up in the air still with what's going on with COVID nineteen, and you know, fingers crossed we get some test matches this year, uh, if not July, hopefully by the end of the year. 
But yeah, he's sort of an interesting one because he's almost quite one-dimensional in a way. I mean, he he does score he does score tries of backing up, and he's not a bad defender for a pretty small dude. But I think like from the outside looking in, when you compare him to someone like a Perinara, who's probably more X factory, Aaron Smith sort of just plays his role really well. Yeah, no, no, I agree. I, th- I think if the probably the the best argument you could have for Aaron Smith is, is like, what is the primary role of your halfback? And that's to clear the ball. Yeah, exactly. So if if you if if that if you look purely at that, then no one comes within Kiwi of him. You know, you can have all the X factor in the world, but if your primary role is to clear the ball and to give your Bowden Barretts and your Dan Carters and your Richie Moangas that split second that they need to that so that they can have the time to actually do the damage out wide or with the ball in hand, then he is he is the man to have. Um, I think when people talk about the limitations in this game, it's just I think that's partially because of his build. So he's he's had to he's had to develop a game where his passing was that awesome that his size no longer became an issue. Whereas if you look at someone like a Perinara, if you look at Perinara's build, he actually either should be a loose forward or a midfielder. He shouldn't be a halfback, but because he's got the size of a midfielder or a loose forward, that's the strength to his game. And so what? But what you, if you watch him play, he hasn't got a terrible pass, but his pass doesn't compare to Aaron Smith. So the attributes he brings to his game is going to be based around his physical capability, and that's not the same for Aaron Smith. So that's that you're looking at apples and oranges. You know, you're comparing that again. So, but if you, and if you look at the power that we have out wide with our midfield and our wingers, well, it's like, why wouldn't you want to give them the most time and space available to them? So, yeah. of course, you'd go with Aaron Smith. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's just, yeah, he's another one that, yeah, he's obviously got all the reps having played so many tests for the All Blacks. But, yeah, he's a guy who I think that, unless you sort of look at it, purely through a rugby lens or even just a a scheme fit lens, especially the way that the All Blacks were playing during the Hanson era, you almost look at him in awe and just his ability, you know, how low he gets to the ground and just his technique. And you, I, I talked with the guy, Peter Breen, the rugby bricks guy in my last podcast, and he just raved about, you know, Aaron Smith and the amount of work he puts into his own game. And a lot of the stuff is around muscle memory. So like he'll do a lot of work without the ball even because he just knows that, when he gets his body into certain positions, that's when you know when he's heading on all cylinders. So, yeah, yeah another I mean, one who I think yeah probably doesn't get enough praise because yeah, no, again, no, yeah, you so. can look at him. You just look at him, and you know you can. How do I like to put this? You can watch a game of rugby, and Aaron Smith just won't stand out because his impact is actually his ability to give others time to make an impact. If that makes sense. His impact is his job. So you know, like, so he does. He clears the ball so well, better than anyone else. People take it for granted, and it's not that yeah, he's exactly. off the field. So if you look, whenever Peranada's come on the field, his impact is different to Aaron Smith. And if you watch the space that the backs get, it's it's reduced just because his passes and is good. And that's not a slight on Peranada as a player. It just shows you how good Aaron Smith's pass is. And so. His pass is so good, and we take it for granted that the fact 
it almost becomes, I wouldn't say it becomes a liability, but it becomes something we just think, oh, you know, all he does is pass. But it's like his pass is that good that it makes a difference. It, it makes a difference to anyone else that comes on the field and goes into that position, you know. So, you know, like if, if you were gonna, if you were gonna sort of like pick players purely on what was their number one primary role. So, say for example, um, you 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 put in someone on the field and they were you compare them to say maybe maybe a lock, you know, so a lock. So okay, what's the what number one role of a lock to win lineouts? Now, if you picked a guy who could do everything else better than that guy around the field or could other things, but he couldn't win the lineouts like that's this particular lock. Then you're going to pick the guy who's going to win the lineout ball first, aren't you? Because that's his primary exactly. role. So I mean, if you look at purely at that, it's just like what's the primary role? That's generally who you'll sort of aim at is who you're going to pick, and then anything that they can do after that is a bonus. So sometimes you can fall into the trap of just say, for example, I'm not, I'm, I'm not picking on Pierre It's just that, but if you compared his ability to pass compared to Aaron Smith, they don't even compare. But he brings other things to the game, other strengths to the game that have an impact on the game. And so that's why if, if you that's why you would you wouldn't really pick Piranata ahead of Smith because his his role when he comes on the field is probably when um defence is tied around the rucks and walls and you can use his strength and athleticism to make those sort of half gaps or make those own gaps himself, which are the sort of things that Aaron Smith can't do. But that's where Piranara's strength come in. You know, that they, they come in from the tiredness of the of the big forwards and that you know that have been on the field. I know, does that make sense to you? Yeah, no, no, totally. I mean, yeah, don't get me wrong. Like Piranara to me, having watched a lot of halfback play, being a halfback, he's probably the best backer upper of any player that I've ever watched. He's one of those guys who has such great ball sense that you know whenever there's a, a last set of hands that needs to be there um, on a try-scoring opportunity. He just always seems to be that guy that pops up. Yep. Or if not, you know, he's the guy that catches it and he's the last offload. Like he's, it's a very underrated skill. Yep. And, yeah, like, there's nothing really much else to say about that, I guess. So. Well, it just, re- it just reflects. I think he's sort of like in the top five highest try-scorers in Super Rugby. He's, like, scored over, like, about 50 tries. And, like, for a halfback, I mean, that's... That, so he's probably scored more than a lot of wingers probably played the same number of games so that's a reflection so that's a strength that he brings to the team is his ability to score tries because you know the whole point of of playing the game is to score more points than the opposition so if he if he brings that ability to score tries and obviously he's an asset to the team but the strengths he brings is not the primary role of a halfback so that's why his best role for me and at that international level is always going to be off the bench um, whereas I think those sort of things of like his past not being as Aaron Smith um, at Super Rugby aren't as accentuated. So therefore, he can do so much more damage at Super Rugby, whereas he can't do as much damage just because it's a higher level, you know, playing yeah. tennis. Yeah, so exactly. therefore, the, the extra attributes he brings with his strength and his power to make those breaks, that's where he's awesome. Totally agree. Uh, ten. I mean, I'd be very surprised if you're any different, Dan Carter. No, I don't talk about it. No, 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 I agree yeah. with that. I won't talk about Dan Carter because you know I could probably talk about him to the cows come home. But uh, we'll move to the midfield. Who've you gone with? 
Nonu and Conrad Smith. Yeah, the exact same. Best midfield combination ever? Most successful. So, again, it's like, I guess it's like with your locks as well. You know, it's just like, I put them in the same boat as Retallick and Whitelock. You know, when you've sort of uh, won stuff like that. Or well, maybe not so much Retallick, Whitelock, because Retallick didn't play in 2011. But if you know what I mean, the sort of success over time, then yeah. And if, if anything, they probably, now I think about it, you could probably pe- compare them more to, sorry, uh, maybe like Franks and Woodcock. So yeah, yeah. because those two played in... 2011 and 2015 I mean it's I, I personally think that they're the best we've ever had and that's taken into consideration I think especially at centre I actually think we've had better centres than Conrad Smith you know that's my personal take on it but again they complement each other's games you know so well that um, if you took one away from the other they would never be as effective especially with Nonu Oh no! If, oh. You, if you if you if you took Conrad Smith away from Nonu, he's never as effective. He's always played his best rugby with Conrad Smith. Always. Yeah, I get that, but I'm thinking even vice versa though. Like, I know that Conrad Smith's sort of a cult figure uh, for a lot of white guys because he was one of those dudes who was just all the top two inches and was very much so a cerebral player. But like you said, although they did complement each other very well, do you think that had I don't know, someone like Nani Laomapi being playing during Nonu's time and being paired with Conrad Smith, or even like an Anton Leonard-Brown being paired with Conrad Smith, do you not think Conrad would have been the same player? Because I, I, I just think he would have been, because he was just that clever that I think he would have spent so much time probably on the training paddock learning you know, what he needed to do to get the best out of his inside centre. Yeah, but you've got to remember... Yeah, um, but I think that you've got to remember, a lot of people don't realise they, they didn't become established as second five and centre until about 2008, but they actually played together for the Canes and for Wellington for about five years. So that was actually a build-up of five years of getting familiar with each other. And then what had happened is that New Zealand rugby benefited from those five years building up. So they were both in the All Blacks for about four or five years before 2008, and once they got established in 2008, I mean, you know, they were inseparable. So so if you if you were going to put Smith with a Nani Lao Mapi or whoever, he'd need that five years with them. And that was the luxury they had. So people sort of think, oh, you know, they were an awesome combination. Blah, but it's like, yeah, but it actually took them five years to build up that relationship. I mean, obviously, like when I sort of talk post-03, I mean, I'm only about six years old, but in my rural rugby memory sort of kicks in about the 07 World Cup, or maybe even probably the actually the 05 Lions Tour. That's when I really sort of remember the the sort of significant people, especially that all that level. But hmm. yeah, I can't really argue with the whole non Smith thing either. They, I mean, me, that's I mean, the they've just always yeah. been the All Black midfield for me. You know, like they were pretty much you know yeah. 12 and 13. They were almost. I mean, they weren't the first names on the team list, but it was almost weird if you saw them playing without each other. Yeah, but that was the same with Kano and McCaw and Reed, you know, barring injuries and to a certain extent, you know, your your white locks and your italics or your white locks and your thorns. 
You know, it's just like, in a, in a lot of ways, New Zealand rugby was fortunate because they were able to maintain combinations, you know, that guys didn't get injured that much. So we actually had the benefit of actually guys being able to stay on the field. And that, you know, and if guys ever got injured, they were never away for a long, long time. So if you look between 2008-2015, how many tests McCaw, Kano and Reed played together and how many, how many tests, you know, Nonu and Smith played together, they probably would have played maybe, I don't know, guessing somewhere between 80 to 90% of the All Black tests together. That's, you know, so that, in a lot of ways, that was a purple patch, a luxury that New Zealand rugby had for a long, long time. And, um, it, you know, it bore fruit in 2011 and 2015. But that sort of came because they just had that, you know, they had continuity. That's the word we're looking for. They had continuity. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, a lot of build-up in those first four years up to 2011, and then it just continued to 2015. So we were very the best ability the nation. It's availability. Yep, yep, no, that's true, that's true. All right, so let's move on to the wingers. Who have you picked? Mm-hmm. Sorry, excuse me. I think this is where we'll probably differ, but this is partially personal. So I've gone for Ben Smith and Richard Kahui. Yeah, well, I picked one of them. I, I did pick Ben Smith as my right winger, but then the left wing, I've gone with Tana Umaga. Okay. Why did you pick Kahui? Because, I mean, like, he that guy only awesome played, like, 20 tests. Yeah, but if he hadn't... See, this, see, he's one of these guys, unfortunately, he could have been one of our all-time greats had it not been for injuries. You you ask anyone that remembers him, he was awesome. The only thing that stopped them playing 50 to 100 tests was... His shoulders. Yeah, he, he honestly, he was, he was one of these guys. Like, he started off... He was a midfielder. He was a midfielder. They just—he was that good that they was like, we can put him anywhere. He could, probably could have played anywhere from twelve out to fifteen. That's how good he was. That's how skillful he was. He was a very, very underrated player. If you if you watched him play in two thousand eleven, he was mean. He really was. Um, he just had a completeness to his game, like Ben Smith. Uh, the only difference, I think, I think the main difference between him and Ben Smith is Ben Smith didn't get as injured. I think if if you if you Seeing Kahui play injury free, the rest of his playing career, he would have been people would have been like, wow, he would have been like Ben Smith, in my opinion. Do you think he would have usurped Conrad Smith at centre? You mean taken over like 2016, or you mean beaten Conrad Smith? Well, no, taking Conrad was, Smith's uh, place. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, if you think back to that 2011 World Cup, they had him on the wing, and I mean he yeah. still had a good, probably seven to eight years after that if it hadn't been for all of the shoulder injuries and I mean Smith probably wasn't the same player probably after 2012 I mean he's always been good but especially sort of towards the the 2015 World Cup he was almost sort of one of those guys who was hanging in there and was in there for experience rather than maybe so much ability so like you said like it wasn't so much that I don't think that the way, you know, you sort of explained him and his ability, you know, I totally agree with that, but he's sort of one of those guys that sort of gets forgotten because he was just sort of so injury-prone and was unlucky that, you know, at the time he did get injured. It just so happened that, you know, it was right before um, an All Blacks in the year tour or the rugby championship. So, 
Yeah, no, I think the reason why I picked Kahui is I think he he is a lot like Tana Umanga was. So Tana Umanga was that good. You could play him at 12, 13, and on the wing, whether it was like 14 or 11. Richard Kahui was like that. So he was so good that they would find a place for him. So like when Tana Umanga first made the All Blacks, he was a winger. And he was playing that well, even though he really was a midfielder. But they said, oh, you know, we've got to find a place for him. And, you know, and then eventually, just sort of as he got a bit older, um, maybe a little bit, bit more beaten up and didn't have quite as much pace, you know, goes into centre, goes into second five. But that's just how it goes. I, I just think Kahui was probably yeah, like a, an injury-prone Tana Umanga. Not so much in physical attributes, but just being that good that, you know, you just needed to have him on the field. Alright, fullback. This will be interesting. Oh, hang on, who was your... Oh, you, okay, I'll say you were... Who, yeah, I, I put Ben Smith, so I put Ben Smith on the right wing and I had Tana on the left. Okay. Okay, cool. Right, fullback. Oh, do you want me to say who my fullback is? Yeah, who's your fullback? Oh, uh, Mills Muliaina. Yeah, fair enough. You just look at it. I put Bowden Barrett. Okay. I just think that if you think about a peak Bowden in comparison to a, a peak Mills. Although, you know, you probably could argue that it's close because, you know, Mills is one of those guys who, I'm not sure if disservice is the word, but because, you know, these guys who've hung around for so long and they play sort of 100 plus test matches, people my age only remember the latter stages of his career and don't appreciate probably how quick he was in his early 20s and especially sort of those early Blues teams of the early 2000s as well. Eh? Oh, yeah. um, he got, he he got tired with the brush of failure in 2003 and 2007 when he was probably playing his best rugby. And then, uh, unfortunately, in 2011, you know, when he was getting a little bit long in the tooth, and that's when eventually, you know, he sort of lost his place, whether it was through form or injury. He still won a World Cup. Don't yeah, exactly. That. Still but by that time he was past his peak but i i remember him in those earlier years and he was he was he was one of these guys where you know when you're picking your black 15 there was like everyone would pick him you know there was never any debate about who was going to be the all black fullback it was always going to be him you know he was sort of like christian cullen after christian cullen but unfortunately you know the last actually probably only the last year of his career and then all of a sudden, you had someone like, what's his name? Israel Dagg. And yeah. Israel Dagg was on fire, you know, in 2011. And he was playing that well, and, and Muli Aina wasn't quite the player he was. So it was just like, I'm sure the All Black selectors would have loved to have been able to pick him, just out of loyalty. But Dagg was just playing too well, unfortunately. And so, if I remember right, he actually got injured, I think, during the World Cup. So it sort of made it easier for them not to pick him. But I don't think he would have got picked anyway, because no, well, Dag, they, Dag was they, that Dag, Dag was that good in 2011. If I remember rightly, he played a game against like Canada or something like that. So he got like his hundredth cap, and that was sort of his sort of signing off moment. Because yeah, there was just no way he was going to crack the 23. Like you said, especially with Dag's form and even just covering the bench. But yeah, I I picked Bowden. Like I said, I think it sort of goes without saying how good he's been, although. There are a lot of people who argue that, you know, he's really a 10. I mean, me and you have had this conversation about just his ability, and you I know that you prefer him as a fullback to a first five. And I think that... Yep. Yeah, I'm not sort of discrediting Muliaina, but I think Barrett's just that good a player 
and especially just with having a second playmaker on the field that he sort of slightly gets the edge for me. Yeah, we'll kick on to our bench. And who are your two reserve props? Joe Moody and Owen Franks. Interesting. And, yep, and or who, who are yours? I, I didn't go with Owen Franks, but then my second one, I went with Greg Somerville. And I went with Greg Somerville um, ahead of a Joe Moody because he could play both sides. Do you remember Greg Somerville? Yeah. I think the only reason I disagree with Greg Summer was mainly because we're picking replacement front rows, like the whole front row. So the fact that you, you could replace your tight head and your loose head, then it means you could carry a specialist tight head and a specialist loose head in your bench. So if, maybe if you were talking about Summer will be able to play both sides, then I could, yeah, I could understand that. But the fact that you can replace your loose head and your tight head in the game then it would make sense to go with a, a specialist loose yeah. and a specialist yeah. tight head. I think personally, like, I wouldn't have... So whoever my starting front row was um, and who, whoever my bench front row was, to be honest, they were all that good. It wouldn't have bothered me who started and who came off the bench. That's all. So, you know, does that make sense? I'm not sure if I'd agree with that. I, I, I get that the drop off in playing ability or performance probably wouldn't have been that drastic considering how good all four of those guys that you mentioned are. Yeah, but I just think yeah. Carl Heyman was sort of Carl Heyman was a guy that shot off early to the UK because the money that he got offered and probably a little bit um a little bit the perks that were thrown in with it were probably too good to pass up. And he didn't actually play a hell of a lot of tests for the All Blacks considering how dominant he was as a player and how sort of world-renowned he was for scrimmaging. Yeah. Well, they, he was considered that good that the rugby union, I think, they, like, threw a farm at him to try and get him back in New Zealand. I think they offered him a farm. That's how desperately... No, seriously, I remember it. They were, they were, they were trying to get him back. They were throwing a farm at him, and he still said no. So you can imagine the coin he must have been getting in Europe. Yeah. Yeah. They, they were that desperate to get him back, and then all of a sudden, out of the blue, Owen Franks came along. And they are like, oh, we don't need Carl Heyman now. So it's sort of really funny at the time, when he'd gone for a couple of years, and we were really struggling to replace him, and then all of a sudden, Owen Franks came, and I was like, oh, yeah, no, don't worry about Carl Heyman now. So that's, that, I find that really weird. I find it really weird that you're, yeah. you're willing to... You're, a rugby union's willing to throw a farm at someone, you know? Not just money, but a farm, you know? I mean, rugby's a religion here. And desperate times call for desperate measures, I guess. So, well, and I'm sure the rugby union isn't short of people in the know to help them out with that sort of stuff. So, yeah, no, that was the rumor going around that they were they were going to throw a farm at him because he's a farm boy, isn't he? I think. Yeah, I'm pretty yeah. sure of it. I could be wrong, but I, I'm I'm pretty sure that's how desperate the rugby union were. It was sort of around about 2008, 2009, and 2010. He he left, and I, I, whoever they had at tight end obviously wasn't doing the job. I don't know who it was. I'm trying to remember who that would have been. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. But I, I remember that. They were like, oh, we need Carl Heyman back. We need him back. And it was just like, oh, yeah, we'll get him a farm. <laughs> Which is, oh, that's one way of doing it. But he, he, didn't, he didn't budge. I'm actually a bit annoyed at myself. Who were the props between, I mean, you have Tony Woodcock, but who was the tight head? 
I don't know. So see, that's what I mean. Obviously, he can't have been <laughs> that awesome TLA, because yeah. between but between Carl Heyman and Owen Franks, I have no idea who the tight head was. Not that I mean, I'm, I'm not a front rower either, so I wouldn't know. You'd have to ask someone who. Was, oh, wasn't who was it like Clark Dermody or something like that? I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Oh. Who, I don't, it, it doesn't matter now, to be honest. But that's the weird thing is that he was he didn't play. See, he you know it's sort of quite funny. Some of these guys obviously had such an impact on their position in the game, that even though they didn't play that much, they still dominated. So, I mean, I know nothing about, you know, front row play, but all I remember is just how important Graham Henry and Steve Hansen and Wayne Smith considered them that they were going to throw a farm at them. You know, I'll, I'll go with that. It's like, oh, you're worth a farm, so yeah. <laughs> you must you must be out of the scrummage. <laughs> Oh, uh, God. All right. Hooker, we've probably gone the same, considering who we started. It was quite close. Yeah, I went me, me alarming. What's that? I was really close to picking Coles, though. I don't know, because in a similar mould... Yeah, but you're picking like for like. You know what I yeah. mean? So if you pick Coles and me alarming, it's like having two of the same. And I just think you don't need two of the same. I, I, I like that dynamic guy off the bench. So if you're going to pick Coles, I think you would have had to have got rid of... Maybe Mialamu? No, I don't know. no, I, mean, that, that... I picked Hor on my starting team as well. Yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah, but... but you know what I mean? Like, sometimes I... And apparently, apparently, Hor's line-out to Rome was awesome. Also, I think he, if I remember rightly, he was the best tight hooker as far as, like, you know, all that, you know, scrummaging and stuff like that. He was, he was, he was rated quite highly in that department and the scrummaging and stuff like that. Whereas guys like Mialamu and, and Coles, their strengths, you know, was their ability with the ball in hand and, and stuff like that. Mialamu's um, probably another one, like you said, sort of similar to Moleaina, that, I mean, because the legends of the game, you can't really say that they hung around too long, but, again, sort of the, the lasting memory that you have of those guys is in just being old, and you sort of forget he about... Played, he, he, oh no, he played 130 tests. He played four World Cups. Yeah, I know. I mean, that's, yeah, which is ridiculous when you say it out loud. But four World Cups. You know, one, two. So I was like, yeah, well, you must have done something right. So he actually play. So if you think about it, because sometimes what happens is that guys can get tarred with the brush of failure, and you would have thought maybe after two thousand three, two thousand seven, was like, ah, he's done his dash. We'll get rid of him. But the the selectors kept picking him, and obviously, you know. You know, he's a legend now. Hundred what'd yeah. you say, hundred and thirty tests. That's me. Yeah. I mean he's probably another one who was a little bit before his time when you think about the role that the hooker plays now. You know, because Yeah. I don't know, like yeah. you said, the evolution of the game, hookers are almost like second loose forwards and Kevin Mayalami yep. was originally a loose forward coming out of school as yep. well and he was yep. that yep. sort of similar to a softball as well, had that very low centre of gravity very powerful, yeah, he, he, but his deficiencies he unfortunately, were in his line yeah. game. Yeah. Unfortunately, he, in a lot of ways, he was before his time. But fortunately for him, he was that durable that he lasted, that when the game evolved, it was almost like the game caught up to him, mm. if it makes sense. Very so eventually, you, so, so yeah, so that's why you, you, so now when you sort of look at hookers now, you know, the game, he became the prototype of the modern hooker, and so from that evolved your Dane Coles, 
your Cody Taylors, and now you're 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 a Sufford Moors. You know that's your prototype New Zealand hooker now. Is that dynamic fourth loose forward? You know, very skillful. It's almost like the big burly extra prop who just happened to be in the middle of the scrum. It's almost like that guy's become obsolete. You know, and that and that's and that, that's come back to um, Kevin Mialamu. He changed the game for hookers. Mm-hmm. Who was your reserve lock? Brad Thorne. Yeah, same. And um, the reason why I picked him is because I think just because I think out of the three of them, they're all, all awesome, but I think if one had to come off the bench and make an impact, he'd probably make the most impact. I agree. I mean, he's, a, he's just a remarkable athlete when you just sort of look at his uh, CV. I mean, I was, you know, he came before my time in terms of all the stuff he did in rugby league, playing for Queensland, playing for the Kangaroos, playing as part of that, that dominant Broncos dynasty. And I remember you mentioning to me that when he first came to rugby, that he wasn't the player that, you know, that we'd eventually see at the 2011 World Cup. So He was terrible. He was terrible. Well, first they tried to make him a loose forward, and he just didn't have the rugby smarts. He wasn't brought up with the game, so he didn't know the nuances that came with being a rugby loose forward. But a very, you know, that, 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 those sort of, um, I guess, smarts and skills that are required, you probably have to have been played in the game your whole life. So what he did, he went away back, he went back to the league, and came back and he reinvented himself, and he sort of realised, it's like, well, how can I best use my physical attributes? Um, because it's it's... I'm probably not going to be able to master the nuances of loose forward play because of my age and just time. So he just reinvents himself as a lock, and he was mean. He basically took his attributes, what made him an awesome league player, and he brought them to rugby. But the but the the thing he did, which made him even more awesome, which I I got so much respect for him, is that obviously a lot of league guys they like to run with the ball, whereas he. His game evolved to the point where he was quite happy not to touch the ball. It was almost like a throwback to back in the days where tight forwards or even forwards didn't touch the ball. And he just basically just hit rucks and lift the line outs and pushed them to scrums. But he was that good that he just became an automatic pick for the All Blacks. And that's that's why I respect him about him the most is that he basically made the most of his physical attributes and he used them to their full potential in a different code. And, he, and you know, he didn't need to do all the fancy stuff, you know, like running and offloading, which he did in league, because was, cause he knew what he did um, just with his physical attributes were enough, and that made him the ultimate team player. Yeah. I mean, you hear the stories about him sort of in the weight room and on the field, yep. about him sort of being the hardest worker in the room as well. Yep. And then on top of that, you just throw in him just being as tough as nails. I mean... But that's what I mean. When he came back, he just said, I'm a lock. I'm just going to do what uh, locks are supposed to do. I don't need to be taking the ball up and throwing offloads and stuff like that like I did in the league because I don't need to, but I can just use my an awesome size and athletic attributes and just smashing guys. And, and he was a classical example of a guy who opposition feared, but they feared him because he was physically hard. He wasn't dirty. So like it'd be like comparing him to Bucky's Porter. Bucky's Porter, he was dirty, you know. 
people feared him because he was a, he would throw in the cheap shots. Yeah, people thanks. feared, you know, Brad Thorne because he was just a hard bugger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you just go for the one loose forward replacement? Yeah, 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 yeah. I went and with uh, five three, uh, Artie Sevier. That's funny though, eh? Well, I, I picked him as well, and I wasn't sure if you were going to pick him just because of how young he is. But again, like I keep saying, he is the man. And yeah. if you think about it, what are we talking? How many years have we got? Is it 17 or 18 years post 03? Mm-hmm. That in that time, I mean, how long has he been in All Black for? Three years? Four years, three, four years? Three, four years. And he's already practically, obviously it's in our opinion, but I'd like to think that I have some sort of understanding of the game that, what is it, yeah, like a 25-year-old already on the bench of the greatest 15 post-03, or, you know, at the turn of the, well, his, you know, yeah. the new century. His, so. his biggest strength was also a weakness. So if you look at it in the sense that he is so good, he could he could do the job at 6, 7, or 8. Yeah, he's so versatile, yeah. That he's he's he is the prototype bench loose forward because he doesn't quite have the physical attributes, you know, like as far as like the statue of a Jerome Kano or a um, Kieran Reed. And in my humble opinion, he's he's I don't think he's an open side. I think he's a number eight, but because he's because he's he's so skillful and athletic. He can bring those attributes to all three positions, and that's very, very rare. So, even though he's still young, he's still so talented. Um, and I think he will be the All Black number eight, or I think he should be the All Black number eight because I still think that's his best position. I don't know, like, <laughs> I didn't really appreciate Sam Kane's game probably up until last year's World Cup because he's one of those guys, he's probably in that throwback mould that he's pretty old school. He doesn't really do a lot with ball in hand, and you don't really see a lot of him on the field, but that's because he does a lot of the dirty work. And yep. by dirty work, I mean, again, hit rucks, put in hits. Uh, and I, but yeah, I just think yeah, yeah. Sevilla does everything, but then you throw on top of that his expected. Like, he's probably not as quick as a winger, but... He's just so brilliant, ball in hand, and he still, you know, he gets over the ball. He makes all of his tackles, and he's not. And again, he's not the biggest dude. You know, he doesn't like you said. Doesn't have the physical stature of a Jerome Kaino or a Liam Squire or a yeah. Vai Fafita, but for whatever reason, he makes up for that in leg drive and enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. I, don't I know. think um, he's probably. And you probably won't remember, and maybe people with a bit old memory. He's probably um, the twenty-first, well, yeah, twenty-first century version of Zinzan Brook. Anyone that can remember Zinzan Brook, you've probably seen a lot of Zinzan Brook in Anadi Sevilla. Um, and and at the time, because Zinzan Brook was, before, you know, he was sort of like the game sort of evolved, sort of after the way he played. He, you know, like if Zinzan Brook was before his time. He was awesome, yeah, exactly. He was awesome. Uh, and that's what Artie Sevier's like. In fact, if, if you look at the way Artie Sevier plays, he would probably be the All Black second five or centre. That's how good he is. Yeah. 
I think in a lot of ways, he's probably more a midfield back than he is a loose forward. I think in some ways, his skills, like his awesome skills in that are actually wasted in the forwards in some ways. I think he would just be, you put him at second five or centre, he'd just be awesome. Yeah, he is probably one of those rare dudes that you'd be able to translate to the back line. Like if, you know, if something drastic happened in a game where you run through like all your back replacements and you need to chuck a, a forward in the backs to defend, I mean, like yeah. you probably wouldn't even blink an eye at Artie standing at second point no, defending no, there, no, you know, no, like no, whereas no. Like, you might have that problem for a lot of other forwards. Yeah, no, no, not him. You watch him play. If you if you just saw him on the field and you and you and you and you didn't and look at his number, his, yeah. uh, you'd look at his number. You would say this guy's a midfielder. If you just watch him play and, and just a broken play, you would say that guy's your second five or your centre. That's how he plays. Yeah, in my opinion. Uh, reserve halfback. Okay, this one's going to be interesting. Um, I'm going to pick Piri Wipu. Yeah, I, I, I went with the exact same. Yeah. Yeah, he probably wouldn't survive in today's game because of the way he plays and because of the way that the Hanson era played. But I think you need nothing less than to look back at that 2011 World Cup and with all the all the stuff that went on at first five and the way he steadied the ship. And although he didn't have the flash as final, he pretty much, well, you can't say single-handedly, but he was a big reason as to why the All Blacks were so dominant for the latter stages of that World Cup. And yeah. he was a guy that who was notorious for his fitness issues. Um, but, but in saying that, though, but if you think about it, like... I mean, it's hard to say whether or not that actually served him any good on the field, but imagine if he was in peak physique, like how much better that guy would have been, you know, just with a bit more clarity. Because the fitter you are, the the more clarity No, I've got to disagree with you. And the reason why I disagree with you this, in 2007, do you remember when um, half the All Blacks got taken out and he actually got in the best shape he ever was? In 2007, he was the skinniest and the fittest he ever was. What happened to him in 2007? We didn't go to the World Cup. Exactly. So it was this, it was never a fitness. <laughs> thing, <laughs> You're trying right? to argue that the higher his skin folds were, the better player he was. No, what I'm what I'm saying is he was that good. Fitness made no difference to how good he played. So I'll I'll, I'll put it to you like this. So like I put him on the bench because there's no way he could play 80 minutes. There's no way. No. He just wasn't that type of player. But if you watch him, if you go back and watch all his other stuff, he came off the bench. He probably played his best rugby, I think, when he came off the bench because he might play like 20, 30 minutes. But he had this awesome ability that I don't think many players have where he could come and watch a game for about anywhere between 40 and 60 minutes, come on and actually change the game. He could actually take control of a game. And so I think this is where he complement Aaron Smith really, really well because Aaron Smith was all rip, shit and bust. So he was, he was basically all about just clearing the ball, clearing the ball, clearing the ball, clearing the ball. But I think sometimes if you come up against oppositions that basically nullified that game, so if you, if you nullify the All Blacks' wide game, 
then Aaron Smith becomes a little bit of a liability because he doesn't have the physical stature to sort of, I guess, change things around the ruck and more and stuff like that. Yeah, Bring, the Pitty Pitty Wep- going backwards. Yeah, exactly. he struggles, yeah. So what Pity Weber does is if, if the tactics need to be changed or the game needs to be slowed down a bit to his pace... Sorry, but he was awesome. Honestly, he was. He was. He was. I've never seen anyone. I reckon, out of all the halfbacks we've had, I reckon in the last thirty to forty years, no one could read and control a game like him. Unfortunately, he just didn't have the ability to sustain that, you know, for a long period of time. So that's why he really was your ideal bench player because what you got in that 20 or 30 minutes could actually win you a game. Yeah. I'm actually yeah, surprised no, I picked him. I thought you would have picked Piranara. No, well, I, I've always liked Bipu and I, I don't know, just for me as a player, obviously not having the the physical attributes um, of some of my teammates and competitors, I've just always appreciated the guys who've got ahead using their head rather than their physical abilities. And he was just, you know, one of those guys who, like you said, struggled with his fitness and, you know, all the other stuff that goes into being um, yep. a professional athlete. But when he got on the field, like you said, none of it mattered because he was just so clever that, mm. you know, like even if he was running five miles an hour, he was just so deceptive <laughs> and, and so good at playmaking. That it, yeah. it, it just didn't matter. Like exactly, at the test level, you know, like you're competing against the best players in the world. Yep. yep. And they and they still had no answer for him at times. Exactly. So. That's how good he was. Is that it didn't matter how bad a shape he was in, he still was that good at reading the game and still and this, and had the skill set to actually control a game that his physical attributes actually weren't an issue. Yeah. You know. You know what I mean. And that's not that's not that's not that, that it, no, but it, it is a compliment because yeah, a lot of, yeah, that, yeah. that was the reason why he got dropped from the All Blacks was because they said you know obviously he wasn't fit enough he couldn't he couldn't keep up with the sort of game that Steve Hansen wanted to play, and it's like okay, but at the end of the day Steve Hansen was right because Steve Hansen won the World Cup in 2015. I still think Petty Weber was good enough to be an All Black, but I wasn't the All Black coach. So, Steve Hansen was proven right because he won the World Cup without Petty Weepu. You know? That's the argument. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm going to take a guess at who your last two back reserves are. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to go with Bowden Barrett. Mm-hmm. And considering you picked Mills at fullback, I'm probably either going to go... Oh, no, I'll probably go Tana. Did you go Tana? Yep. Yeah. yeah. So if you look at my bench, especially in the loose forwards and the backs, they were picked purely because of their impact. So if you look at someone like Tana Umang, Tana Umang, he, he, he could make an impact on the game. If you looked at pure ability, he was probably better than Nonu and Smith, but because of their combination and because... He could play anywhere from second five. He could probably even play fullback too. So who, if someone got injured and he came on, he could make an impact, whether it was wing, centre, second five, fullback if he had to. So that's why it's like purely as an impact, he would just, yeah. Yeah, I agree. And that's the same for Bowden Barrett. You know, as, as much as I still think 
his best position as fullback. But if he if if he came off the bench at first five or fullback or even on the wing because he's that quick, he would make an impact as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I put Mills because he he can cover anywhere from thirteen out. And then my other back reserve, and I know he's not going to be a popular choice for you. Can you ever guess who he is? No way. You are not picking him. Really? Well, if you, 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 like you said, if you think about the impact of the bench. I'm hearing you. And, and because I already you. have so much versatility across my squad, I was like, who else could I put in my team that I know has the ability? I'm not saying that, you know, I know he's had his trouble with consistency, but yeah, it's hard to look past Sonny Bill because of just the his ability to break a game open with his offloading. Like I said, I'm not I'm not that big a fan of him. I probably like similar to you think that he Well it's a tough one because I've heard stories about how he'd work his ass off outside of training to work on his skills. And I know me and you joke about uh, his ability to pass the ball only one way. <laughs> he, he, he obviously didn't work enough. <laughs> hey I've I've heard similar stories about different guys, but I mean the guy won Two World Cups and is arguably New yeah, Zealand's greatest on, ever hang... athlete, considering yeah, like how on. many sporting demands he's crossed over. And if you think that that 2015 World Cup, who set up Nonu's try? I know Nonu still had to run 40 meters, but he ran about 60 meters on the angle, so I doubt that <laughs> offload. <laughs> Look, I don't want to get into this argument because we haven't got enough time. But, but like, my okay, argument, considering this, who I this picked, is my... who else would who else could be on my bench? Who would you have picked ahead of him? No, that's your bench. I mean, I I chose Umanga. That's all. I mean, that's like well, yeah, Umanga started bench, me, like, and, and Barrett started yeah. me. So yeah, no, no, that's that's okay. I I guess this is. I, I think it's a bit of a myth. Like I'm, I'm look, I'm not doubting that he works hard and he's a great guy. Blah blah blah. But if you if if you if you look throughout his career, he was very strategic who he played for, and if you notice all the success he had, he was always playing for successful teams. And, I, I, and I, I seriously doubt that he was the reason why these teams won all these championships. So that's all I'm saying is that, yep, but he was smart. He was very strategic about who he chose to play for. That's all I'm saying. So yeah, if you look see, at, I, he, I, went, he went and played, he played for the Crusaders, and you look how good they were. He played for the Chiefs, look how good they were. He played for the All Blacks, he played for the Roosters, he played for... No, nah, but like, uh, if, you, if you actually read into all the stuff that he did at the Roosters... Like he is regarded as the man, and like yeah, I probably would have agreed the... with you with maybe the Chiefs and the Crusaders stuff. I mean, as, yeah, initially he... going to the Crusaders, of course, you know you could sort of just chuck them in there, and you just tell them pretty much, you know, just don't fuck up, and everything else will sort of do their own thing. But I mean, the Chiefs were long. I mean, because he was part of both Super Rugby final wins, if I remember rightly, and. The Chiefs weren't that great a side before he turned up, so he did have yeah, an impact there. Look, hey, look, I'm I'm just saying that's just my take on it. He was very strategic who he went to play. Like well, you know when he went and played uh, in France, who did he play for? Too long. Too long. Exactly, he went to play with the best players. So he was very very like, hey, you know, good on him. But I'm just saying, don't I, I? I will argue with anything that he was the difference maker in the success of all these teams. He wasn't. He was very, very clear about who he chose to go and play for. So when he played for the, what do you think he went and played for the Chiefs? 
Who was the coach of the Chiefs? Dave Rooney. No, no, no. Who was the coach of the Chiefs? It was Wayne Smith. He what, for both the Wayne... Yeah. Wayne Smith was, was, was his the coach. coach. He pretty much was. Yeah, you no, know no, what Dave I mean. Dave Rooney was that... the coach that way. Yeah, in name, yes. <laughs> My point is this. Is he went to the Chiefs because of Wayne Smith. So he was very, very clever. I'll, and I'll, I give him credit for that. He... He he knew where he wanted to go. He knew we were he would get success. So good on him for that. But I I just I just don't think he deserves all the credit he gets. I think his greatest asset, personally, is his brand. That's what I think his biggest asset is: is his brand, not necessarily his ability. So would you have rather he'd gone to the Highlanders or the Blues and? played in mediocre teams no 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 I'm not saying still that still got picked for the All Blacks no, rather no. than going somewhere where well, he, he would have he, he had, he had to work harder it's e- it's easy when you're in a successful team well see no because I had that argument with my mate Matt when we put together our All Black squad for this year going off what we'd seen in Super Rugby and for as much shit as Rico Iwani has got over the past 12 months you just have to think like how much Better, I guess he'd be if he was a part of the Crusader setup, but because he was playing for a mediocre Blues team, he's almost had being asked to do more. So, I guess that's sort of my counter to your argument. It's like, well, if Sonny Bill has to go and play somewhere, because I mean, like you said, rugby's a game played with 15 players, not one. Yeah. Now, one player can have a massive impact, and for me, Sonny Bull was never going to be that player where he could turn a franchise around. But I don't, yeah, I don't, I really don't get your argument there because, like, why would you go somewhere where you know you're going to struggle? Like, what what good does that do to you? No, but the the, the argument is this: is this like it's it's easier to get picked when you're playing for a successful team. So, so what he's done is he's been very look good on him. Good on him. So basically, what he's done is he's shown himself. If I go and play for that team, I'm more likely to get picked. Now, if everyone chose to do that, then the Crus—I mean, the Crusaders are pretty much all black team. But if, can you imagine if, say, like um, Artie Sevier went and played for the Crusaders? What's the point of that? Bowden Barrett going to play for the Crusaders? What's the point of that? You might as well just have the, the might as well make call them the All Blacks. And that's my argument. My argument is that it's just like that's what Sunny Bill did. He went in and said, like, okay. I'm gonna play for a while. I can see I can get. To, and then, look, each to their own. That, that's all cool. That, that, that's all cool. Like, I'm not. I'm not doubting he, he. He. He is a good player, but I don't think he's as good as people make him out to be. That's all. That's all. So. Yeah, you know. I get that, but yeah, that's sort of a sort of a weird argument for me because you look at I don't know a guy that springs to mind straight away considering how much better he got after he changed teams, someone like Bryn Hall. Like, Bryn Hall was arguably the fourth best halfback in the country. And yeah, had, so, and no, had no, Scott Robertson got the, the opportunity to coach the All Blacks, he, I mean, it's tough because of how cemented Perinara and Smith are and Webber's just playing that well. But if you look at, like, how big a jump a guy's made. So are you saying that Bryn Hall's not a good player? I'm saying he's been made to look better. He actually might not be as good as we think he is. He's just been made to look 
really good in a really good team. So that's that's the counter to your argument. You're saying that basically the Crusaders have made him a better player, or maybe all the Crusaders done is he, that's the player he's always been, but he's playing for the best team. Does, does that necessarily mean he's the third best halfback or second best? I don't know. I don't think that's necessarily true. So you've got to look. There's a difference between a guy being successful and whether he's actually the best player. So the hardest job, in a lot of ways, selecting is the hardest job. So coaching sometimes an easier job because it's like, okay, these are the guys I've got, and I'm just going to coach them. The real secret to success, and I think in a lot of ways Steve Hansen was really good at this, was selecting the right players. So just because Bryn Hall's playing for the Crusaders and they've won three championships in a row, does that mean he deserves to be an All Black? Not necessarily. Well, but if you think about it, though, if you, if, you, if you go off that argument that, oh, you know, well, he's playing behind a Rolls-Royce Ford pack. Yep. He's, he's going to be playing behind a Rolls-Royce Ford pack for the All Blacks. So what difference does it make? No, but the thing is, like, that Rolls-Royce Ford pack at Super Rugby level will not be as effective as, which is pretty much the All Black Ford pack. It has been. Exactly. So no, but, but it, won't be, it, won't, it, won't, no, it won't be as dominant. It won't be as dominant. And sometimes when you get to international level, you sort of need that little bit of X Factor. So so the difference between him and Piranha is that Piranha's just got that little bit more X Factor with the ball in hand. And the difference between him and Smith is that uh, Smith has just got a bit more X Factor in his pass. So he's sort of like that guy, very steady in the middle. Would he necessarily thrive? And I, I, I mean, I don't know the answer of that to that question. Yeah, because he hasn't been given the opportunity. But yeah. but that's the thing. It's like so. The, the, I guess the art of selecting is picking a guy regardless of what team he's playing in. So what that does is it actually counters the argument that basically, if Sonny Bill was playing well enough, whether he was playing for the Highlanders or the Blues or whoever, he'll get picked. He doesn't need to be playing for the best team. That's the argument. So a good selector will see a guy whether he's playing for the worst franchise in New Zealand. If he can sort of see it, it's like. I can take that guy, and he'll be awesome at international level. Whereas you can get that same, you can get another guy who's playing for the Crusaders, has won three championships in a row, and he's like, you know what? I think that guy's only going to be good at that level. I don't think he can make the jump. So there's a difference. Do you notice the difference? So that's the argument. So my argument about Sonny Bill Williams strategically picking teams that are successful, it does enhance his brand and enhances him as a player but what I'm saying if he's good enough it doesn't matter who he plays for so if you look at it when he went and played for the Blues that was the real measure of him because he was playing a team that wasn't that successful and so therefore he wasn't as dominant I mean obviously it didn't help that he got injuries but you see what I mean so he, he could have been playing awesome in a struggling team so if he's playing, so you could be a selector and like, fuck, he's playing awesome for the Blues, and the Blues are shit. Imagine how good he'll be playing for the All Blacks. Now, can you say that about him when he played for the Blues? I wouldn't. That's all. That's all I'm saying. Whereas if he was like, oh, man, he's playing awesome, even though the Blues lost by 20, that's like, yeah, I'll give him that. But I don't necessarily think he was doing that. Yeah, I guess we're going to have to agree to disagree on that one. Yeah, I know. No, that's that's what I'm saying. It's just like that. That's that's the art of a good coach picking his team, you know. And that's just like I remember when Aaron Smith was first played for the All Blacks. Highlanders were shit, but he still got in the All Blacks because Steve Hansen saw something in him 
playing for a shit team. And he's like, you know what? If that guy's pass is that fucking awesome, if I can get him behind our Rolls-Royce fucking Ford pack, our backs are going to be even more awesome because they're going to have that extra half second to fucking rip oppositions apart. And it proved right. Because we go nowhere with this argument, eh? So. <laughs> no, I'm just saying that that's just that's just my take on it. We don't have to agree. I'm just yeah, saying no. it's like if, if you want if you want me to substantiate my thoughts, it's like that's that's what it is. So it's yeah, no, 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 you don't no, have I to totally agree. agree. But yeah, you, you, you don't have to agree. But that's what I mean. Is it's like there are guys like I don't know if you remember this, but like oh, you wouldn't. But back in like the mid '90s, uh, Christian Cullen got picked out of nowhere to go and play sevens and he became a fucking awesome star and what Gordon Titchens did is he went and watched like the Nationals and Christian Cullen was playing for Manawatu and Manawatu were getting fucking wasted in all their games but Gordon Titchens saw something in Christian Cullen he goes you know what if I put him around the right guys and you know give him basically um, the sort of I guess environment for him to thrive he's going to be fucking awesome and he did that with Christian Cullen. Christian Cullen was just fucking playing for shit money with two team. And he fucking pulled him in and he became Christian Cullen. And that's where he became a star. Christian Cullen became a star playing sevens first. And that was all from Gordon Titchens going, fuck, man, I'm going to pick that guy. You know? Yeah. So one. that's what I mean. The cream always, you know, rises to the top. Always rises to the top. Yeah. It's a great note to end on. Yes. All right, we'll wrap it up there. Um, appreciate your time, Papa. Hey, I'm just curious. Yeah. How much of it? The only thing that very how many was only about two differences in our team, eh? Yeah. So was that you picked Umang instead of Kahui, and you picked Barrett instead of Moliaina? Yeah. But you put Moliaina on the bench. Yes. And then you put um, the Hill. brand the brand on the bench. <laughs> that is his BW. <laughs> That's what I call him now. The brand. <laughs> Yeah, the yeah the only difference in our team was you had Kahui and I had I had Umunga. Oh yeah yeah yeah. No, no, yeah, I had yeah, Umunga yeah. on my team. They were the only so like we picked out of all the twenty three, we had twenty two of the same. Far out. That's not bad. Mm-hmm. I'll I'll let you off on the brand. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah, I, I really enjoyed this actually, and hopefully, I come up with a few other ideas. And if you, if you get to thinking about something, we can have an argument about, or just chop it well, up. Well, to to be to be honest, I I was I wasn't really dreading it, but I thought I know some of our conversations in private over history <laughs> haven't been that great when it comes to rugby. So this was actually this was actually quite a good experience. I must admit. Um, it was a pleasure being invited and, um, yeah, being allowed to actually come and talk a bit of shit with you. Yeah. All right. I love you and leave you, man. Stay safe. All right, then. Hate the what?